proud members of the Dread Podcast Network. <laughs> I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message to save America, stop socialism, and stop China. Stay the pie, we honor thee from life to death, Doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. What do we want? What do we want it? I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes that is better. ...and cadaver dogs scoured the property at a home on Mallory Dozens Crescent. of officers have been working around the clock. Pleading guilty to eight counts of murder in the first degree, this makes him Canada's biggest serial killer. This isn't your average documentary. This isn't your average story. He wasn't your average serial killer. I think that that's because he knew what he was doing, and he was evil. The most infamous serial killer in the history of Toronto. I mean, this man was brutal, relentless. He went undetected, and he got away with a lot. He deceived a lot of people along the way. And my son isn't your average survivor. Welcome back to another horror hookup on Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. My name is Andrew. And I'm Maddie. And if you're new to our horror hookup series, these are the special episodes where we have conversations with all kinds of people, from directors and writers to even ghost hunters and Sasquatch hunters. Yep, we've had them all. Today, we welcome yet another first, star Sean Cribben and director Craig Huckerby of the new documentary, Was I Next? The Sean Cribben Story. After a year and a half of talking online, Sean finally agrees to meet his new friend in person. Little does Sean know that he just hopped in the vehicle of Canada's... Can- uh, let me start over. After a year and a half of talking online, Sean finally agrees to meet with his new friend in person. Little does Sean know that he just hopped in the vehicle of Canada's deadliest serial killer. As the day goes on and events ensue, a chance interruption from a roommate forces Sean to dwell on the thought, Was I next? Sean, Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, sure. So pleased to have you both with us. And Sean, uh, our first question is for you. Um, You know, for some of our audience that may not be familiar with Toronto, um, we're wondering what it was like to be in the gay village at that time. You know, was there any paranoia circulating around the missing men? To kind of paint the picture for us, what was the neighborhood like? Well, there was there was knowledge about the missing men. Uh, the first three that went missing were um, I remember walking down the street with a friend and seeing their their missing posters put side by side, all three of them. And th- there was a similarity between the men. And my friend remarked to me that there was a serial killer. I felt at that time he was overreacting. <laughs> um, I was proven wrong. I will admit. <laughs> and uh, then from there, there was um. No, there was there was an undercurrent of knowledge about more people going missing, and it wasn't until the little spree towards the end, um, when because uh, Salim went 
uh, in April and then Andrew in uh, on Pride Day. That was the final one. Sure, sure. sure. And uh, by then, like even before then, because I I um, I was aware, and I I said yeah. to MacArthur about there being a serial killer. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that leads me to my next question. You know, in the documentary, uh, you finally agreed to meet uh, Bruce. And you even mentioned, like you said, that there was a serial killer in the neighborhood in conversation with him. Um, just to kind of level set our audience, and you don't have to go into too much detail because it's, you know, kind of talked about in the documentary. But um, for those that are not familiar with your story, can you just take us through a little bit of uh, what happened that day in your own words? Okay. So um, I was hooking up with this man who I talked to with for about three years on uh, three different um, men's apps, like hookup sites, mm-hmm. <laughs> lack of a better name. And um, then, so the, the day I went, I, I felt I was meeting someone familiar. Um, I went, got in his truck. The first thing I did say to him is, you hear there's a serial killer in the neighborhood. And then I went, I wonder who it is. And then I went into theories of who I thought it could be um, just to fill in the space because he was not commenting at the time. But it didn't phase me as odd. It just, you know, it was first hookups. I was nervous. Mm-hmm. He, he was, I assume, nervous. Maybe he was uh, just laughing inside, wondering what I was saying that. Um, and then, so we got back to his place. It's about five miles a drive. We did small talk. I learned that he was almost Santa and stuff. And um, then uh, we went upstairs. And then I um, had to, I was running a few minutes late. And to make up time, I, um, I decided to go to the bathroom and give him the drug GHB, to, which was on me. I gave it to him with instructions how to mix it what was incorrect if meaning that if he put two capfuls in i would go to sleep and then as i handed him the bottle and hey hey sean sean just to interrupt you just because some of our listeners might not know can you tell us what ghb is well it's also um known as the date rape drug gotcha okay um and it's one of those things in the right dosage it creates a euphoria. Um, sure. It heightens the sexual experience. Um, in the wrong doses, you um, pass out. Mm-hmm. And um, I, he gave me a double dose, from what I can tell. And um, I was out within five to ten minutes, I would say, of of started of getting there. And then he did some stuff while I was unconscious. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into detail there. You don't have to. Okay. And then um, I woke up, but unless you know you were unconscious, or unless someone's there to tell you you passed out, you don't know you passed out. I just thought I missed a blip, mm-hmm. like a, almost like a stutter in time. And then um, and none of the things he used or, or were in the photograph he took while I was unconscious were present, so I never saw them. They didn't come out till after I was unconscious, and they de- they went away. The only reason I know they were there is because he did take a photograph while I was unconscious. Oh my gosh! And that was the one with the murder weapon up against my throat, and wow. it had the DNA of the two previous victims on it. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. 
And 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 just just to be clear on that too for our listeners, and, and like Andrew said, this is in the documentary, but by you know the, the 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 murderer, he he took pictures of his victims, correct? Yes, he, he um, took all, all of all of them. He had uh, post mortem and uh, pre death shots. Wow, wow. So so going going past this this horrific night for you, which. You know, we, we know that you're still living with this trauma and, you know, th- thank you once again for, for sharing your story and for coming on our show and talking about it with our listeners. Um, but when you heard later on uh, the, the news breaking about Bruce, I mean, what was that? What was that like when you first heard when you saw his picture, when you knew that it was him? What flashed through your head? Well, it, it was funny because I spent the whole night from the time I heard um, and found out it was him. Like uh, uh, my first reaction was, "Oh my God, I was with him." But then, as I sat and for the twelve hours bef- um, that night, and I even asked a couple friends, like, "Should I report it?" I don't think anything out of the ordinary happened. It was a bad date, but nothing <clears throat> stuck out in my mind. And I thought, I finally concluded when I went to sleep that night that if there was anything pertinent, the police would contact me. And that's when the phone rang the next morning. That's what woke me up was the police calling me, telling me that I had uh, vital information for the case. Wow. Now, I want to bring Craig into the conversation. Craig is the director of the documentary. Um, How did you get involved with this project? And why did you feel it was important for you to help Sean tell his story? Uh, Well, I was... um basically asked by Billy, the producer, uh, he, he knew Tammy and Tammy and I had worked quite a lot, uh, for a while. And so Tammy brought me in and Bill, and we met with Billy and Billy asked, or Billy sold me the story. And I wasn't even sure if I could actually do it because I, I have a full-time job in media and I wasn't sure if I could take that time off. And once he told me about the story, it was like, and I work in news media. And once he told me the story, it was like, okay, I have to do this. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge story, right? Um, and so we just made it work. And the reason I wanted to do it is because it was such a fascinating story. And I thought, wow, this is an opportunity I can't turn away so yeah. i said yeah let's do it and you know I, I think part of the part of the compelling nature there craig was um i i'm, I'm wondering if if you didn't tell the story if it would have been told it, it, and what i mean by that is in a way that others could actually hear it on on a larger on, on a scalable basis right because yeah. even even with the the original um with the original manhunt and everything going on uh, I, I know that the, the the police maybe didn't treat it as as well as they could in Canada, yeah, and and maybe the full story wasn't being allowed to be told out there. Right. So I'm I'm sure for for you it it had to be important to to tell this this uniquely LGBT story about this 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 these uh, these tragic losses of life. Um, was was that a part of it for you? Well, what was really part of it was that Sean had his story that wasn't allowed to come out to the public and yeah. because he the MacArthur pleaded guilty 
So there's no case. There's no court dealings or whatever. So this was all bottled inside of him. And mm-hmm. sure, you know, this is an opportunity that he could get the, his story out and tell it his way. Right. And that was really important to me and the rest of the crew was that we didn't want to sensationalize the Bruce MacArthur aspect. Of course. We yeah. wanted to tell Sean's story and, and, and the hell he went through. Sure. Right. So it was very, that was part of the challenging part of it was not sensationalizing because that's all you heard about on the news for, for a couple of years was Bruce MacArthur, Bruce MacArthur. Sure, artist. Sure. And it was a very sensationalized story. And, we didn't want to focus on that. Mind you, we had to at some point. You got to tell that part of the monster right. before you see how it affected Sean, right? So, Sean, we know that from talking to him, uh, your producer, Billy Greer, was a huge part of bringing this team together to tell the story. Um, tell us a bit about your relationship with Billy and why you chose him to help you bring your story to the screen. Well, Billy, I've known from at least 23 years, um, he used to work with an ex of mine and uh, at a bar, and uh, he had circumstances in his life that put him in a precarious situation, and he became homeless. And this was over the Christmas holidays, I remember, and I uh, found out through my ex, and I said that, um, that he should move into our solarium um, in our house, or in their apartment, and uh, he did. And uh, I didn't even remember this when Billy first approached me. He filled me in. Like he remembered things like I um, made sure he had a stocking on Christmas morning and presents under the tree and stuff like that. So um, because of that, that, that I guess outreach or 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 just it, it didn't seem like a big deal to, to me to do that. But um, Billy remembered it, and his life went in a in a trajectory to improve his situation and to gather more skills that could possibly produce a documentary like this. And when he approached me, um, it was I was actually in Portland, Oregon, and I was in a hotel, and I turned on my Facebook. It was the first time I turned it on live after being off for over a year, and. Um, he he messaged me almost immediately, and uh, I just happened to respond very casually. And then he was right there; he was like sitting on it, and he was just like. Then he asked for a phone call, and I took a call, and we we talked for quite a while. And it was very emotional at first because uh, we played catch up, and uh, then uh, he had this idea, and I said that when I got back to Toronto, I would definitely meet with him. And I was being approached by some uh, like Universal and NBC and a few other, um, BBC was in there. And so um, when I just, Billy was just so passionate about the project and making sure that I was safe and treated well, um, it was a no brainer in, in the end, like that I would go with him over the others. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, Craig, you know, knowing that this was going to be such an emotional ride, um, what, you know, you even in the documentary revisit the site of kind of the incident. Um, what precautions did you take when filming these scenes? How do you mean? Like with Sean, I mean, did you, how did you guys have a lot of conversations about what was going to be happening? And I mean, really like, like, like emotional, emotional precautions. 
Well, uh, very for much for Sean. This was all new to me, right? I mean, they were taking me to the locations of where this where they met and and his apartment. Um, so I didn't feel emotional about it, but I could understand Sean feeling emotional because this was the first time he went back there, and um, you know I remember shooting it at the apartment. I'm thinking, geez, I wonder what Sean is feeling right now, and. You know, obviously he was emotional about it. Yeah, that was um, shooting commenced on the two-year anniversary of that actual incident. That's like, right. we did the reenactment we started with. And uh, we ended up at MacArthur's building. And I didn't think it would affect me. I thought I was far enough along in my therapy that I would be um, okay. But it became um, quite evident shortly after I exited the vehicle and I counted up to the 19th floor and I knew it was the corner unit and I kind of had that moment of panic and then I started to um, lose control of the panic attack and so I just remember I wasn't used to the camera being right there in my face either so I just kind of turned and said we have to go but I didn't say it very clearly I guess because no one moved but so then I made it very clear and I said no we have to go now and I got in the car but Billy assured me that I had the right at any time to um, to just pull the reins of where we were going if it was because he had my um, my emotion my emotional state in in his care and he knew it and he did very well with it Sean, I'm so glad that you mentioned the word therapy. Um, you know, that, that's a word that we take really seriously. It's a word that our listeners do too. Um, mental health is just, you know, it, it's paramount. And especially in this last year of pandemic, I think we've all really learned that. And I, I'm imagining that you really learned the, the power of therapy and the power of, of healing in, 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 in mental health um, through your entire experience and going through therapy. Can you tell us a little bit about how therapy has helped you, um, you know, get through this this incredibly traumatic experience that happened to you? Um, yeah, I now I had kind of a care team. I had a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and, and for a, a brief while, a trauma counselor. So um, I had it on. Uh, the, the resources open to me were quite um, fast, and I'm still in therapy. Um, and I will be probably for the rest of my life, but it's, it's calmed down a lot. Um, if it wasn't for that sounding board and because as the story unraveled the aftermath, that is, there were so many unmapped um, things that I didn't know I would have to deal with and, or nor sh anyone in that situation should have to deal with, but all of a sudden I was being faced with them and, um, Without that, the psychologist to vent all this stuff too and get it out there and and almost a sounding board at times. Um, that issues with my family and issues with the police and issues with the public's reaction um, and uh, the public debate about whether I should live or die. That was very hard to take. Yeah, I can only imagine. 
Um, you know, speaking of this side of the story, um, I think we were both kind of, you know, choked up with the amount of support you received when you went to the uh, Cedars campground for the uh, annual Illumination Night uh, event, um, which for our listeners that don't know, it's a night of remembrance for all of those in our community that we've lost. Um, Sean, what was that like being at that event for you? That was a, a, that was a pinnacle in my, my healing process because... Like the speech that I did, which um, I don't, it's after the credits of the movie, um, the uncut speech. It's uh, that was one thing, and that that came very easily. It was just my message to the community, and then sort of like a tribute to the the victims. And then, um, but the reaction I got that night was we walked through the park after I identified myself for the first time publicly. Um, as the victim, as the, the subject of the documentary, then the reaction was just overwhelmingly positive. And um, the crowd gathered behind me. And there was one point where I got towards the end of that, uh, going through the displays, and I, I was emotional, so emotional, I thought, I can't do anymore. And I turned away from the crowd, not seeing them, and I said, I'm going back to my trailer, and I, I sort of walked off the wrong way, and then sort of, I think it was Craig or Billy or one of them said, Sean, uh, those people behind you, they want to hug. And when I turned, there was like literally like like 100 people all, all like stretched out behind me, and they um, when I went over, and they just kind of swarmed me, and there was just hands rubbing my back and, and telling me I was okay and like so brave. and. Uh, all these uh, affirmations that were just, uh, it was very emotional and very uh, changing for me. Wow. You know, Craig, uh, a question for you. Knowing that the community had already endured such loss at this time uh, with eight men already killed, were you expecting the community to to really get behind this story when you started filming? Yes and no. Uh, Just because... The story hasn't been told yet. No one knew Sean's story yet, right? So they didn't really know what Sean had gone through uh, unless we told them, like at the Cedars event, uh, then people were aware what he went through, right? Uh, But that night, everybody knew. (laughs) Everybody knew what had happened. And the support that Sean got was really heartwarming you know like I didn't expect I don't go into these things with emotion I, I just try to do my job and 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 capture what I can and that night was just overwhelming not just for me but for the entire crew of how the the community there just came out and supported sure. him sure 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 and you know th- thinking about that part in the movie too and 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 folks listening this this isn't a spoiler trust me um, but you know Sean you had some really great advice um, that you gave. Uh, and I, I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners about that advice that you give, because I think it's great the way that you framed it. You framed it in the sense of, you know, talking to your friends and, you know, the friends that you know aren't going to slut shame you, the friends that you know really support you and being careful, being more careful about our bodies and about our lives when we do hook up with people. Could you tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that advice that you gave? Well, the very basic um, lesson to be learned from my mistakes is um, to b- take better precautions when hooking up. Um, the 
like god forbid this happens again but it's very it's it's already has in other cities um to varying degrees so i i suggest they take a screenshot and send it to a trusted friend um if the person shows up and they and they haven't provided a photograph you take a photograph then before you go with them and if they refuse you don't go and um it's also important I find the gay community, at least locally, um, and I travel enough where there's there's a large contingent of our own selves to blame in terms of the the slut shaming. We have to really reevaluate how we we do that because well, we're, sure. because what we're doing is we're creating an unsafe environment for these people by getting because they don't want to be that guy who hooks up. X number of times, so they they downplay to their friends, or they don't tell their friends where they're going, or they do not uh, on the down low. And the fact is, is that um, they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not hooking up with nobody. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, it, it it becomes an issue of you know when when that internalized shame that LGBTQ people face, sort of in general. You know, this is one of those examples where that internalized shame can become dangerous. Because it, it, it can put you in danger. And I, I just, you know, I, I brought it up because I just really appreciated the way that you framed it and the way that you just gave that advice again to people. And so for listeners out there, you know, listen, we all hook up. Just, it is what it is, man. Or, or, or girl or, or anybody for that matter. Um, you know, don't let that shame, um, don't let that shame put you in danger. Talk, talk to people. Be open about what you're doing. Be proud of what you're doing. Be proud of who you are. Now, we know that even in post-production, um, this project was tough. You know, there was some, some health scares that you all endured, and we're very happy that you've made a recovery. And, and the COVID-19 um, pandemic sweeping across the world, um, you had to change up how you worked. Um, I can, Craig, I'll give you this question. Did you ever think that this wasn't going to get finished? I didn't think it was going to get started. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because because of COVID, and it was right at the point where we were starting to edit, and there was still a lot of things I needed, right? Like, we didn't have anything from Billy. We didn't know what the narrative of the story was going to be because we were still kind of doing it, right? Yeah. And we did this without a script, right? So we just shot what we needed and hoped that was enough, but it wasn't. <laughs> and uh, as soon as the uh, COVID started, we had to change it right up. And I remember calling Billy and Tammy and saying, you got to trust me on this one. I need Billy to tell this story on camera so I can piece together what we have, right? Because it was go going to be totally different. It was going to be Sean and Steve and Billy and Tammy in a studio. It was going to be perfectly lit and you know, like look really professional and we were stuck. I mean, we couldn't move. So I said, Billy, use your iPhone. You got a great camera on your iPhone. Just set it up and tell me the story. And that's what he did. And over a course of three or four weeks, I think it was, I would say, okay, Billy, I'm at this point of the dock. I need this. And within the next hour or two, <laughs> I would have something from Billy that was just perfect. And the same thing went with Steve, the, uh, the music director. I would be needing a piece of music 
and I, I described to him the scene I'm doing. And then the next thing I know, I had this perfect piece of music from Steve. And it was like, wow. he was reading my mind. And so the, the whole editing process took way longer than I thought. But I'm so glad it did because it, it gave us time to look back and see what we were doing and how the story was playing out and do people understand what was going on, right? So, and, and people do, they, they resonated to this doc. And so everything happens for a reason, right? I, I'm so glad we did it the way we did it because it looks organic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of... Um that you all became such a family through this process. So now that you've all been on the film festival circuit in 2020, Craig, what's the reception been like? Tell us about that. It's just been mind blowing. Like we never went into this thinking we're going to be an award winning documentary. We just wanted to tell a good story. It was some good visuals and some great music. And we just put it out there or thanks to Billy. He's just been working his ass off doing all this, entering all these festivals. And when we won our first festival, it was like, oh, great, that's awesome. And then it was number two, and then number three, and then number four, <laughs> and they just keep on coming. And I'm just blown away by it. And I think the entire team is blown away by it because as a company, this is the, our very first project that we worked on. And, and to be able to have this documentary be seen around the world and to win these awards, it's just so humbling to me and, and to everybody on this project. Yeah. Yeah, I think officially we're up to 75, 78 just now. I just got it. I know yeah, we've got Japan as well. Wow. You know, and finally, Sean, you know, we want to thank you again for telling your story. You know, a, a part of the, you know, we hinted at this early on in the in the interview, but knowing that you weren't able to take this, officially take the stand and tell, you know, your your side of the story, how has this documentary really helped you, you know, move on? Well, um, at a time, that was my biggest um, flailing in my healing was after he pled guilty, you think there would be a large sigh of relief, but then there was no official record of my crime against me. And that was, um, as funny as it seemed, I felt very devalued and, and not important enough to warrant uh, um, an attempted murder um, charge because it wouldn't have made a difference in, in what he was sentenced. So that's, I ended up putting that spin on it. But when I look back, um, I was even talked out of doing a victim's impact statement. And that would have been a chance to be in the official record. Um, but the police talked me out of that. And now there is, I could possibly sue them, but I'm not going to because for me, it's, it's not going to change the outcome. He's in jail for the rest of his life. Um, he is eligible when he's 92, but it's not going to happen because if I'm alive, I'm going to be there and then I'll bring my charges forward. There's no, no uh, statute of limitations on it. So I can charge him then just to bog him down until he's, he's no longer with us. But um, this documentary was pinnacle in terms of getting my story, like saying it and, and saying it, presenting it in a way where there was some compassion because because of the nature of the hookup. It was sexual and th there were drugs involved. Um, 
that put a very negative uh, slant on the media coverage. And so I wanted to get past that and let them actually see that I'm, a, I'm as much a human <laughs> behind the, the headline that was going out. Um, that was important to get that out. And uh, I think the documentary did it very, very well. Now, you, you told us before we started recording, but there's been a, a late development with the police. Did you want to speak about that? Yeah, um, it sort of goes to what I was just saying, is there was no official record, but now um, the report came out officially from Judge Gloria Epstein about, it was a civil inquiry into the police conduct in in missing persons um, cases of marginalized communities. That was the official title, Um, but, sorry, it included um, the eight victims from the MacArthur case, as well as um, a couple other homicides as well. And um, after that came out at the press conference in the morning, which I went to virtually, then uh, I was called into what I thought was going to be a debriefing with people who were involved with the case, but it was just me and the chief of police. And they, um, the Toronto Police Service apologized and said they were truly sorry for letting me down and putting me in a position where I was not protected because if they had done their job better, it would have never happened to me. And that meant the world to me because it it acknowledged um, that this did happen to me. And that was was important. More important than I I originally thought. It was uh, that meeting with the police lifted a huge weight off my shoulders and it just felt um i felt like i could breathe again well we're so glad that that finally happened for you and you know of course sean we we wish you nothing but the best moving forward and and in your recovery and craig thank you so much as well and and to billy of course and to everybody involved with the making of was i next the sean cribbin story which premieres on may 25th now our listeners out there are going to want to know how they can catch this documentary. So, uh, Sean and Craig, tell us, how can you watch Was I Next? I think Sean's got the info, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so it's available on the 25th, as you said, and it's 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, uh, which is 9 Eastern Standard Time. Um, and it's at Mental Health healthyfit.org mentalhealthyfit.org mentalhealthyfit.org yeah and that's a a a film festival in utah that is specifically geared towards issues of mental health wow and um which i'm very proud to be a part of that yeah um because that's what i wanted the focus to be on and it's uh, to be picked up for our first screening for for um, a mental health Film festival is, uh, means a lot. You should be proud. We're proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, again, Sean and Craig, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Now make sure you seek out Was I Next? The Sean Cribbin Story. And as always, we encourage you to get slayed. Get slayed.